Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, February 8th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation, the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their life and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we'd appreciate you doing so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. 
or you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we get a comment or a question or a testimonial from you, we'll address it on the Internet show. And then, as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for the feedback or input and we greatly appreciate whenever does it, whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. And the intention with this work is to be a service. So if you are able to let us know what's working, how these things are landing for you, what would be of more benefit, we will endeavor to do more of that as we support you and others in growing in their ability to get maximum benefits from the application of these tools. So, how can we support you? What's on your mind today? What would be of most benefit for us in spending the next, the first hour of this two-hour segment? I am not able to load the... um, chat room for whatever reason it is not loading so if you're trying to get in there my apologies Um, if you're trying to get in and chat we would ask you to call 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone or send an email because right now the chat room isn't a viable option for whatever reason I was working with somebody earlier this morning, and they they came up with the phrase that they realized that they need to learn to love themselves more. And my instantaneous response was probably what they need to do is be able to see themselves more accurately, see their true nature more clearly and fully rather than trying to, quote, love themselves, close quotes, more, if they just understood their true nature, all the other pieces would fall into place. And um, that's the essence of what we're working with in the way of mastery. It's the essence of what Sadhguru would ask us to to do in, in the work that they promote and what Paramahansa Yogananda would ask us to do with the work that he was given by his masters. And it's exactly the same as what the way of mastery is that calling us to do is to wake up to our true nature and find a way as often as possible to remember prior to each breath the truth that is true always, that we are connected to our creator. We can't ever be separate from our creator. And that one of the most productive um, 
meanings we could give to our lives is to to just assume that we are here as an extension of the one mind, the creative process itself, light, love, God, whatever you want to call it, expressing in form. And the best, most useful thing we can do, given that that's the case, is bless creation moment to moment. Extend loving energy moment to moment. Choose to share only those loving thoughts that we can get access to moment to moment. And, you know, in in the big picture, Michael Rice likes to talk about, you know, uh, maybe we're supposed to live forever because we're energy and um, we should have a, a, a party in 4949 and make it put a mark on your calendar that you intend to be here for that, et cetera. And then he says, you know, maybe it's wrong, but if it's wrong and you bought into this process of dismantling everything that's less than love from your system, what have you lost? Nothing. The time that you have in life, however long you're in the physical body, is going to be more loving, more blissful, more flowing, more productive. So I offer the same kind of rationale here when, when books like Christian Sundberg, A Walk in the Physical, say your purpose for being here is to practice being loving in more and more difficult constraint sets, kind of like going into a gym and lifting weights. You don't start with the heaviest weight. You start lifting little little weights, and then muscles grow, and you give them time to rehab, recover from the stress of the weightlifting, and then they grow back stronger. And So... What if that's just a a choice you make about how you're going to approach your life that you're going to be practicing to be more loving and that that you're going to accept that as your purpose in life? Well, what if, you know, that's not your real purpose in life. Your real purpose in life is to accrue money or to save the world or whatever. And my response is, okay. And in the meantime, what have I lost by choosing to be more loving, by choosing to look for more helpful, positive, compassionate interpretations that I can place on whatever unfolds in front of me in life? Well, my personal experience has been it's all good. It's all gain. So it may not be the real reason I'm here. And yet, unless or until some divine source makes it clear to me that that's not why I'm here, and or I find a better meaning for my life, that's the one I've chosen for now. So, you know, we invite comments and questions. What, what, what are you taking from the things that we're reading or you're reading about what your real 
reason for being here is. We have, I don't know how many billions of people on the planet right now, and one of the most useful ways that I've been introduced to to think about life on the planet and humans and their activities and what motivates them is that people are either acting from a space where they recognize their perfect peace their connection to their source and their 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 existence as a being of brilliance and light or they're acting from a place where they've either temporarily forgotten or yet to discover that brilliance and what the way of mastery invites us into in lesson 3 is to say what if you chose the insane perspective the way your culture would talk about it and when someone has broken into your house and stolen your stereo or some other god that you worship and looked at them as a brother or sister who's crying out for help and healing what if you chose to look upon them as one who does not know how to live in the world without being of the world? What if you chose to look at them as one who does not know the way to self-forgiveness, in other words, to, to their own ability to dismantle false judgments, false perceptions, and any negative judgments? What if you look at them as somebody who does not know the truth of the capital L light that lives within them and someone who does not recognize their great power to create whatever they want in a way that is not hurtful to anyone what if you chose to look upon them with compassion rather than reactivity that's that's our suggestion with this work over and over again can you look upon yourself with total compassion? Can you see your true nature prior to every breath? Can you take a breath prior to every time you're going to interact with anybody else and invite something other than your conscious logical assessment of life and that person to inform you? Because as they say, if you do that, you'll never encounter a stranger. You will only always and forever see a fellow traveler, someone who yearns as you yearn for peace. I'll look out through my eyes after having asked for guidance. Because all minds are joined, I will not see a stranger before me. But I'll see one who walks as I walk, who feels as I feel, who longs as I long, who is humbled as I am humbled, and who prays for peace as I have prayed for peace. And then in the next moment, I'll have the opportunity to extend that peace to them, to extend the awareness of my true nature and theirs. What if you decide to choose that 
as your purpose for being here in a body, having this life. So that's where we are. That is our the teaching we're looking into, that we're inviting people to look into. Remember, so far in the 12th lesson here of the Way of Mastery, it says this entire process is designed to bypass your cognitive or thinking mind and to find a way to loosen the the roots of fear and dissolve the deep root of fear in every human mind. So since no one has a hand up, I'll go on with the reading in Lesson 12 where it says, those roots of fear must be dissolved at a level that is deeper than the conscious thinking mind can reach. The mind was never designed to be your master. Now, this here we are in the 12th lesson, and it's referring back to what it told us in the first lesson. The way of the heart is not the way of the intellect. The intellect was never designed to be your master. It was designed to be a very simple tool, a very simple servant. Here it says it again. The mind was never designed to be your master but it was designed to become aligned as a servant of the awakened heart, just as the flower blooms and sends forth its scent for all to see from the depth of the soil that is unseen. But that soil has been well prepared. So that the only roots that gather nourishment from the soil are roots of that which speaks of life, capital L, life, and beauty. Not the roots that speak of fear or unworthiness. The text goes on and says, Seek you then to seek no more. For the place is prepared for you, and you need only go to it. Therefore, we will be cultivating more deeply the art of surrendering and resting ever more deeply into that place of silence, which is the threshold to perfect wisdom divine. The way of the heart is the preparation of the soil that allows the way of transformation to occur. Transformation is not complete unless it envelops, encompasses, and is expressed through the very life you know. Right there on your little speck of dust, whirling about a sun in a small part of only one galaxy, Expressed on your earth and in your time frame, your relationships, your experience, and in your life as you know it, as you live it, as you breathe it, and as you feel it. So, let the breath flow and realize that you have the freedom 
to go back over the previous 12 lessons and see if there is anything you have missed. As you do that, do it from a place of Christedness. Here's a suggested perspective, a template to think from. Quote, I am the one who is choosing to enter the way of transformation whereby human consciousness, the human lived experience, becomes the living expression, the fruit which has sprung forth from the soil in which the roots of grace, love, and healing have been well planted. Close quotes. So if you choose to go back over the first 12 lessons, here's a recommended perspective. I am the one choosing this. I'm going to enter into the path of the way of the heart so it will prepare me for entering the way of transformation. And the way of transformation is going to help take this tiny little human consciousness from a simple lived experience into the living expression of grace, love, and healing. The text goes on and says, do not, the text goes on and says, do this not from the perspective that you're doing something amiss or wrong, but do it out of the desire to be the perpetually avid student as a gardener. The book here says a master gardener, and they've already helped us understand that mastery is not control, and mastery is about uh, someone who's a master is a, is a person who has loved learned to always be a student. And that student gardener who's been avidly a student knows that he or she has only been the keeper of the soil and that the magic that brings forth the flower is not in his or her possession. That magic, that life, that creative force is merely that which they've been given stewardship over. And another word for it is consciousness. The text says, Consciousness is the gift of capital L life streaming forth from the capital M mind of the Creator. Your mind then, lowercase m mind then, is the soil of the garden. All awakening and all transformation occurs nowhere except in that garden. Some of you are still seeking to understand the mind by seeing it as something that is locked inside of your skull and something that is somehow cohabitating with what you call the gray matter of the brain. Rest assured, your mind is unlimited forever. 
the body that sits in the chair in your five-minute exercise is as a drop of foam being expressed at the slightest tip of one wave in an infinite ocean. That ocean is itself within the unlimited expanse of your mind. You are consciousness. You are pure, capital S, spirit. The only question then is this. Are you willing to allow that drop of foam to be transformed into that which fully and always expresses only the capital L love of the Creator, even though that expression is still temporary because the body has risen, arisen in the field of time and it disappears in the field of time. So are you willing to say, quote, well, what the heck, close quotes, and allow that capital L love to be as fully embodied as it is possible for it to be for the split second that the body is in the world. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to turn the focus of your consciousness over into the experience of embodying the love of the Creator as fully as it possibly can be for as long as your body lasts? The text reads, expressing mastery is the effect of the way of transformation in this world, in this time, in this tiny little moment. Rest assured that to the degree that you turn your attention to expressing mastery, to the degree that you use time wisely to be the embodied Christ, when the body drops away and it veils from you no longer the magnificence of the capital L light that you are, then the light will not be blinding to you. And then you will not contract in fear. You will merely let this world go gently and as easily as a child who has put away a toy that has been outgrown simply because its usefulness is complete. All that you see, the body, your relationships, your devices, and your stars, your winds, and your waters, all of this will eventually be put aside by you not out of denial, but simply out of recognizing that their usefulness is over. Indeed, beloved friends, as we come then to the completion of the first 12 lessons, look well to see that no drops of grace have been ignored. Open the heart ever more deeply Allow those pearls, those drops of grace to penetrate ever more deeply. Not just as ideas in the thinking mind, but as feelings in the cells of the body. 
Let it create for you a sweetness in the flow of breath, a sensitivity in the way your foot rests upon the soil of the earth with each step. Let us begin to transform the way in which you rest your hand upon the shoulder of your brother or sister. Allow that sweetness to permeate your gaze as you look upon another, seeing the Christ within them that is growing into a beautiful flower whose scent and beauty will be as a blessing to many. There is no one among you who is not the evolving Christ. Remember always that what you see is what you get in the same way that as you teach, you learn. So, as we were listening to Neville Goddard on Tuesday in the support group, he was basically saying the same thing. Your consciousness is your power of creation. Your ability to be conscious is your power of creation. And what you focus it on, you get more of. And what you focus on with certainty, with absolute knowing, having dismantled any doubts or fears, you're creating exponentially more powerfully in that moment. When you send out a mixed message, you get mixed responses. When you sit with your affirmations list and chanting about how you're one with the Creator and you're ultimately powerful and if you say to the mountain, move, the mountain will move. If you're doing that and there's any doubt or fear in you, you don't see a mountain move. You don't see the creation of what you had hoped to create. It's simply because you haven't made a space in your mind. You haven't removed the barriers to the awareness of your true nature. So this is all about, for me anyway, it's about training myself to release the distractions. If we look back at Lesson 5, it says, we have been absolutely brilliant at practicing being distracted. And in the five keys to the kingdom, the second one is intention. And intention is the idea of undoing the practice of being distracted. What do we get distracted with? Games, video games, possessions, news, politics, bodily sensations. Sadhguru was talking in some of the reading I was doing with him recently about how the body is such a powerful distraction 
that if you had a crushing headache and the Lord appeared to you, God himself, herself appeared to you, and asked, what would you like right now? You wouldn't ask for peace in the world, etc. You'd ask for an end to your headache. In lesson five, the keys to the kingdom, the second lesson being, or the second key being intention, it says, you've used time to teach yourself how to be distracted by all of the thoughts and perceptions that make up this cosmic soup called your world. Therefore, it's necessary to utilize time to cultivate intention. In other words, unraveling the conditioning, the habit of being distracted. So what is it that we use to be distracted from distracted from what distracted from your true nature distracted from the invitation in this work to return to your awareness of your true nature prior to every breath ask to be shown how to view the situation in front of you through the filters of love Rachman Kuba as Michael Rice would call them from the ancient Aramaic a filter and the frontal lobes of the brain over intention is called rachma. And in the back of the brain over perception is called kuba. And most of us are so distracted with judgments and perceptions and what the world has taught us is important and our negative evaluations of ourselves and others like the woman I was talking about earlier today. She said, so I've learned that I really need to learn to love myself more. And I instantly said, probably better to just see your true nature more clearly. And we've been distracted from that. So the question for each of us has to be, will we continue with the habit of distraction? Or will we accept the invitation to dismantle that habit of distraction and cultivate intention? And, and understanding from Lesson 5, it says, intention is not the same thing as holding a strong egoic or willed commitment to making something happen. And that's not about setting 17 alarms on your smartphone and every time the alarm goes off then you remind yourself this is about cultivating mostly by removing everything that's false but in another way cultivating this desire and intention to be in alignment with that source of all creation that gave rise to you to learn to use the conscious creative force that you've been given dominion over to frequently and continuously, eventually continuously, stay focused on nothing other than expressing what the divine flow of life would desire to express through you in each moment. 
So perhaps there are some pearls of grace in Lesson 5 that haven't completely sunk in for you yet. Perhaps in Lesson 3, where the idea of what forgiveness is as a tool, as a process for dismantling judgment and perceptions, from awakening from the devastating effect of any judgment upon our experience, our, the very cells in our body don't function every time we judge. In Lesson 3 it says, to forgive means to choose to release another from the perceptions you have been projecting upon them. In other words, you dismantle your projections, your perceptions, your judgments. And if you do that time and time again, every time you forgive or dismantle a judgment or perception, you take yourself deeper into the purity of your own consciousness. In other words, you get to see your true nature more clearly because it's not covered up with all of these judgments and perceptions. And if you continue to do that, you're going to wake up one day and realize how profoundly you have been coloring and therefore affecting all of your relationships simply because you're having more of an experience with your projections and thoughts and judgments about another person and almost no relationship with the person, him or herself. So the tool of forgiveness might be, or some aspects of the tool of forgiveness might be some of the pearls of grace that you've missed in the first 12 lessons going through this. In that lesson it says, there's a part of you that absolutely knows the perfect innocence and purity of your brother and sister. And therefore, every time you judge them negatively, you create a tension you create a clash, you create a pain within yourself because the part of you that wants to judge them negatively is in conflict with the part of them that knows they are just another spark of the divine mind. And it says here, whenever you judge anything or anyone, you've moved out of alignment with that which is capital T true. because there is only the flow of creation. That lesson says, we wish to share with you the power of this process of dismantling your judgments and your perceptions. We call it forgiveness for short. We want to share with you how to cultivate it, how to refine it, how to understand the depths of it, and those depths which can only be revealed to you as you continue to dismantle your judgments and perceptions, even 70 times, seven times. And how to bring up from deep within you that which has not yet been forgiven. It's perhaps been forgotten, but it's not been dismantled. Are there some pearls of grace in Lesson 3 that you haven't 
allowed to sink deeply into your awareness, to become a part of your experience of life, the template through which you look at life, the filter through which you choose the interpretations that you make day in and day out. Did you miss where in Lesson 3 it says awakening, which is what everybody who's listening to a, a teaching like this says they want. Awakening requires vigilance and discipline. Are there some pearls of grace that you've missed because you, you're not able to see how awakening requires vigilance and discipline and how that fits with all events are neutral and the way is easy and without effort. Well, how can I have vigilance and discipline be true as a necessary requirement for awakening and then be taught the way is easy and without effort? How can I be vigilant and disciplined and have great ease at the same time with no effort? There's some pearls of grace in there that most people need to go mining deeply within their thought patterns and their labels and judgments and definitions of things. Because on the surface level, that seems absurd. It's like a koan. A koan, like um, no ignorance, no end to ignorance. There is no ignorance, and there's no end to ignorance. How does that make any sense? It's a koan. And if you look at it in different ways, if you learn to understand emphasis on different parts of the words or syllables, you can sink into a perception of your own life experience that's enlightening rather than conflicted. It isn't a paradox. It's just a way to make a statement that causes you to think deeply from an entirely different perspective. Awakening requires vigilance and discipline. The way is easy and without effort. How can both of these be true? Is this book just a bunch of doublespeak and, and pulling for us to be confused? Or is it saying at different levels, when you start using your effort not to try to become love or be loving, but you use your discipline and your effort to see where the mind energy you're focusing is ineffective or is negative or is rooted in what you've been conditioned to, the judgments the projections upon others, and you remove those judgments and projections, you get more vigilant about where you focus your conscious awareness. You turn inside to see your true nature and the true nature of your brother and sister in front of you before acting. Then the way becomes easy and without effort. Then your actions are motivated from this source of creation within, from this alignment with the energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through you in each moment. 
maybe there's some pearls of grace in lesson eight that talk about how every thought you you choose is like dropping a pebble into the pool of your awareness and it creates ripples that move out from you energetically and interact with the quantum soup or consciousness around you and it comes back to you and as it comes back to you you get to experience what you've chosen well also in that lesson it says and you're never a victim you're not even a victim of all of the anger and hurtful and bitter thoughts you've chosen for decades even though the ripple effects from those are going out and they're going to be coming back to you well how could I not be a victim of it if they must come back well because a little bit in lesson 8 and then more clearly in lesson 9 it tells you over and over again that even as the effects of those energies come back to you, in that new moment, you are free to choose how you will interpret and respond to those energies. You remain free. You have the infinite capacity in each new present moment to choose the focus of your awareness in that moment. And... The focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment is the mechanism that creates your experience of life. Whether it's something as temporary as you had the plan for an outdoor picnic with friends invited over and you get up that morning and there's a rainstorm coming. Or there's something much more involved like Roger McGowan who was sentenced to death row in Texas for something he didn't commit and spent 26 years there in a 6 by 6 by 10 foot cell being actively abused by the guards day in and day out either way whether it's something short term and temporary or something more long term as we would consider it in the span of a human life, each moment we are free to choose. And this book calls us to to wake up to what happens when we choose judgment. Notice the tightness. Notice the tension. Talk to the cellular biologists and they tell us when when you choose for fear, when you choose for judgment, when you choose for anger... Your cells go into shutdown and defense mode. The very cells of the body do not function properly. They don't take in nutrition, they don't eliminate waste, and they don't repair worn-out parts. Maybe there's a pearl of grace in Lesson 7, where there's a story about the shadow cast by a little blade of grass and how the idea of fear is completely false and made up by us and now we're talking about intellectual and psychological fear we're not talking about the the automatic impulse of the body to protect itself from actual physical danger 
because even in that moment where I have a reflex that I jump out of the way or I jump to somebody else's rescue, there's no emotion in that. There's simply action. And we're talking about the experience of the emotion of fear as an intellectual psychological process. And it says here, whenever you resist healing, whenever you struggle to speak your truth, whenever you resist stepping into your awareness of your true nature as the creative energy expressing in form, right before that happens, you decided to believe fear is real. And fear is simply an energy, it's a misapplication of the energy of creation, your consciousness, and you've chosen to believe that that tiny little energy wave moving through the human body is going to come and punish you and crush you if you choose to heal, choose to awaken, choose to speak your truth, choose to see your true nature as love and extend it in the moment. Maybe that's a pearl of grace. Or there are maybe there are several pearls of grace in Lesson 7 for you to go back and awaken to. Or soften your own resistance to whatever comes up in you. So, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. As I mentioned, I'm not able to pull up the chat room for whatever reason. So if you're in the chat room and trying to communicate with me, my apologies. Um, I see that Jeannie just came on, on the switchboard. Perhaps she can pull up the chat room from her end. But we have plenty of time. We've got uh, about nine minutes for a comment or a question, an answer or a testimonial. This is Thursday, and so tonight there will be another support group absolutely free on Zoom from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. And once again, all the information you would need to join us there for free, if you have an Internet connection, is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. And please remember there's a separate login info page for Tuesday and one for Thursday. How can we support you? How is this landing for you? As we're approaching the end of Lesson 12, and it reminds us yet again that moving on into the way of transformation and or the way of knowing as as separate books, even though they've been bundled together in, in the big blue book called The Way of Mastery, moving on into the next segment without having really practiced and welcomed what you can learn about yourself from the exercises suggested is not a real good idea. It's not a very productive way to move forward. Area code 618, I'm attempting to turn on your microphone. Hello? 618? 
Who do we have? Yes. Cammie. Um, so I've been doing Michael's work um, for about 20 years and off and on. I would um, decide I didn't want to do it anymore and I'd get real miserable and I'd come back and start doing it again. And I'm back again. I'm doing the work. I am just thrilled. Um, I had utter peace about 18 years ago, and my husband died, and it all went away because I wasn't doing my work. Um, I just simply wasn't practicing the tools that gave me that peace. And um, so anyway, my question is, the book that you've been talking about, I've listened to a few of the shows, and The Way of Mastery, that title has several different authors. It's some good stuff, and I want to know what author wrote that book that you're talking about. The the way to find that this book is to go to shantycristo.com, S H A N T I. C-H-R-I-S-T-O dot com. Okay. And And that's that's a cheaper, and if you get it through there, you'll get it cheaper. And if you don't have money for it, you can can go to ChristMind.info. So all one word, ChristMind, M-I-N-D, C-H-R-I-S-T, M-I-N-D, dot, I-N-F-O. And from ChristMind.info, you you can get access to the written and the audible, the auditory of that book and and the way of love and A Course in Miracles, etc. Nice. Um, That's really good information. Thank you very much. So I don't know what the other books are that you were referring to that are titled The Way of Mastery, but you you can sort that out by going to ChristMind.info first or ShantyCristo.com. And if you're ordering you know, The Way of Mastery from ShantyCristo.com, that's the one I'm reading from. Okay. And who is the author of that? I had, well, I had done it. Um, I Googled it on Amazon. And there were several books with that title. So, okay. I just so, so sure it's I know not listed as, okay, this is what I'm trying to tell you. It's not listed as having an author. It's coming from the Shanti Cristo Foundation. And the person who channeled it is currently going by the name J-M, J-A-Y-E-M. Okay. His, his um, original name was, was John Mark Hammer, but you won't find that attributed to him in the book because this is presented as a channeling. Okay. I had thought about reading this a long time ago, and I just wasn't ready for it, you know, and it's time that I read it um, and re-listen to all of your shows. It's been fabulous, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you. And um, really, I I don't know, really, really appreciate your support. 
You're entirely welcome and deserving. Thanks for uh, doing your work and opting for something that's more loving every chance you get. Wonderful. It's wonderful work if you work it. Um, So are you doing worksheets on a regular basis? I um, am doing worksheets and still point breathing, um, cayenne and lemon, um, getting my diet more in order than I was. I was eating a lot of fast food and restaurant food. Um, And so right now I'm just making like the basic changes um, in my physiology. Um, but it comes back. If you walk away from it and you get it back and start doing it again, it comes back quickly. It's like I've been doing it my whole life, you know. And, yes, I have a lot more to learn, but I'm willing again. (laughs) That willingness goes out of the window, and like Michael says, it's the cosmic grease, and that willingness goes out the window, and I'm screwed you know, to put it in my terms. Well, that's the same the same for all of us, right? Because as they say over mm-hmm. and over again in this work, no one, no no entity, no consciousness, no evil, no godlike force is going to usurp your free will. So you can choose right. to delay the curriculum, as Guy Finley would say, and the Way of Mastery says it this way too. You can choose to delay taking the curriculum but there is is only this one curriculum and the purpose of the curriculum in Guy Finley's words is to educate the soul to the existence of the wisdom that created the curriculum so as to educate us as as to our connection to the one mind to the creative force to all that is to love whatever words you want to give it so anytime you're ready any of us are ready, it's available. Well, I thank you so much for the call and the uh, kind words. I will mute you so you can listen to the second hour. Okay. And invite you and everyone else to our support group tonight at 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. The information to join is available on mindshiftersacademy.org. And I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. appreciate you. Hope you have a good meeting You're tonight. You're welcome and deserving. Thank you, and have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Trish Radio. And today is Thursday, February the 8th, 2024. And their call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and have your questions because it makes it your show. Cammie, glad you joined us. I've seen you on the switchboard for the last few days. While we're waiting on Michael to dial in, I'll just share with you that we had an awesome experience this morning. Michael and I got to go to Aria's school. She's in kindergarten. And we got to present to her class. It's 
like professional days. So any of the parents or grandparents that wanted to go and, and present what they did in life. And so Michael and I went and we presented that we are teaching people that they are love and how to get back to the state of love if your emotions are up. And I said, you know, how many of you have had emotions like fear or sadness or anger or whatever? And all the kids raised their hand. And Aria was up there beside of us. She was our assistant. And she turned around and looked at me and she says, and sometimes they all come up at the same time. <laughs> and uh, we we taught them, you know, that um, it says that, you know, God is love and that we're created in the image and likeness of God. And so that means we are love. It's the stuff we're made of. And we had these little um, acrylic stands for each of them. And we had two different children's poems, the one, uh, Who Am I? And then the other one was the children's commitment to another child. And then we taught them how to do the love exchange. And it was just really awesome. And we would ask Aria, you know, why are we here? And she'd say, to be loved. And then any time that there was another question asked, the students, the different ones, they would say, it's love, to be loved. So it was really awesome to participate in that and uh, to share with these little kindergartners. And Michael has joined us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. Yeah, it was pretty sweet to uh, to be part of that. And uh, I didn't expect that Aria, you know, we went in to make the presentation, but she decided she was going to stand right up in front with us. And 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 I opened it with, Aria, why are we here? You know, I acknowledged the class that Aria was going to help me. And she just piped it right up. Be love. She knows it. And actually when that was completed i actually had a massage set up so as i was getting my massage the uh, just the whole energy of that exchange with these little ones opens to me the the next level of possibilities that we could actually create a world where this aggressiveness and abusive behavior and disappears and is replaced by human life in each mind that plays that game of hostility and fear so uh, I'll just invite everybody to join us in the possibility that we can create that result because it's certainly time. So I'd like to introduce, based on what we've done the last couple of days, I'd like to link all of that now to literally the 11 most important words ever spoken. And I mean in any language. Any language, any time, anywhere throughout history, the 11 most important words were spoken to us. And those words followed a passage that was given to us by Yeshua. They asked him, you know, what's what's most important? What's of all these pieces of law that you're giving us? What is most important? And again, this each of these are to the other. One is the foundation for the other, and I don't know which one you could say comes first. They're they're both equally important. Uh, 
So to repeat once again, as if we could repeat this one often enough, the quote we were working on yesterday, the light or the guide of earthly life is perception. Therefore, if your perception be without fault, how could it be without fault? That would be that there would be no fear or hostility. What will produce that result? That's the most important law. The most important words ever spoken relate to what that law is. So therefore, if your perception is without fault, your whole life will be enlightened. If your perception be unfit, your whole life shall be darkened by it. If the light for you is darkness, how deep will your darkness become? So, what does it mean to have perception without fault? Well, it takes, if you're looking for a result, you need to know the law to produce that result. Any result that's produced in the universe, if all factors are the same, there is a way that that result is produced. The word that represents the way that result is produced is called law in Aramaic. Again, it's not the rule of a superior. We need to shift our minds and start to think differently. So the city Yeshua, what's, what's most important? And he says this. This is the first and greatest commandment. And, and, and my offering is this is about theology. This is how to keep your mind functioning properly. So the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the first one, now, this is the Greek translation. Love your neighbor and love God. Love neighbor as yourself. And again, my offering is that twist guarantees that people will end up with guilt. If you're told that that's what you're required to do, and if you don't do it, then you're wrong, you're guilty, you're bad, you're a sinner, whatever the terms, whatever the threat is of punishment that's given, that's a terrible thing to tell somebody if that somebody has not resolved all of their hostility or fear. Notice that if you are a human being that has not resolved all of your hostility or fear, then the purpose of life is to kick you right square in the limitation. The purpose of life is to show up with something that will resonate the unresolved hostility or fear, which gives you an opportunity once again to resolve your hostility or fear. That's the purpose of life. Now tell somebody before they've done that, that what they're supposed to do is do this thing of, and it's this, it, it ends up becoming this venial form of approval, I'm supposed to love you, and you're the person that comes to show me my hostility or fear. And I've been told I'm bad, I'm guilty, I'm a sinner, whatever, if I don't love you. And what's resonating me is hostility or fear. And, of course, if I live in denial, remember our def definition of denial, when I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me, to hide the root or the cause of what's moving inside of me, to hallucinate, perceive this whole darkened reality that you're the one who's causing this in me. So now, if somebody in authority has pounded into me that I'm supposed to do this venial approval thing, love you, 
and you've resonated my hostility or fear, what happens? <laughs> Guilt, pain, trauma. And now people are stuck in this whole fear game. Take a look at the world. Now let's look at the Aramaic perspective. You were never, Yeshua never told anybody to love anybody. What Yeshua said was, have Rachma for the Creator, have Rachma for your neighbor. Neighbor means in Aramaic anybody you think about. So the first and most important commandment in the law was that when you think of the Creator, you hold Rachma. When you think of a neighbor, the second is like unto it, you hold Rachma. Rachma is the gateway that brings love, your human life, into your human form. Your created essence is love. Are there other energetic patterns in you that displace that? Well, probably, if you're in a human form today in the world. Is there a way to change that game? Yes. Understand that the commandment was not this venial form of approval, I'll approve of you if you're fulfilling all of my goals, but rather if Rachma is active, the Aramaic command was you keep love active and present in your mind, even if the neighbor shows up bringing up all of your rage and terrorism. Because if your neighbor gives you the gift of bringing up all your rage and terrorism, and you're holding to the active presence of love. Rachma is active in you, and therefore love is present in you. Then your sin, your energies that are off the mark are going to begin to dissolve. That's all. And the, the first order business, the people, the neighbors that are going to be most intense at bringing those things up, the ones that it's most important for you to understand that you keep love present for are those that you're genetically connected to your parents, your children. And once you've had sexual intercourse with a partner, then your partner now having access to your genes. You know, they didn't talk about sexual promiscuity because of something to do with genitals. They talked about sexual promiscuity because when you have intercourse with someone, you give them access to your whole unconscious mind and you get access to their whole unconscious mind. Notice that in most relationships when that happens, because people don't know that they are love and the command was to keep love present in their minds, not approval of their partner, but love present, now that partner, having access to my unconscious dynamics, knows how to resonate them in me. And it's probably going to trip over them, and up it's going to come. You recall several times over the years we've talked about <clears throat> you know, the purpose of children. One of the major purposes of children is to reflect our unconscious mind and have it hanging right out there in true living color and Dolby sound. And if your child does that, you are not required under the law to love them or your partner or anybody else, your neighbor. What you're required to do is to keep the gateway, Rachma, and there's no such concept in the Latin or the English or the Greek language. No such idea as Rachma. If you keep that gateway open, then love is present in you, and what this neighbor or this spouse or this child resonates in you will instantly begin to heal. As you heal, then all perception is corrected. Again, let's go back to that one part that said, therefore, if your perception is without fault, 
In other words, the output of your mind has no form of hostility or fear. Then what happens? What is this promise? It says your whole life, not your Sunday morning churchianity life, but your whole life will be enlightened. So what were the 11 most important words ever spoken? Well, following up that passage about keeping Rachma open, keeping love present in your mind, and we hear the 11 most important words. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I can remember when the first time I understood the meaning of that phrase. I'd read it a thousand times. I'd heard sermons preached on it, but it never made any sense to me. But I remember the Laws of Living class we were doing at Heartland. It was at least 18 or 19 years ago. And it was one of the most, for me personally, one of the most dramatic openings that I'd ever had. And it was like, oh, my God, that's what that means. If I keep Rachma active, then my perception will be without fault. Now I can open the book of the Law and the Prophets, and it will make sense. I'll know what it's saying. I won't be reading my own errant perceptual constructs into that book. But all of a sudden, the whole meaning of it will unfold and become clear because my perception is inerrant at that point. When Rachma is active, when love is present, then I open the writings of those who had experiences to share with us about the law, about how the world actually actually works. Again, the law meaning how does it work, they'll be able to look at that and go, oh, there's, oh, now I get it. Read those, the Law and the Prophets, and you can justify, I mean, just take a look at what's happening in the world today. You look at the violence being done by neighbors by people who are so-called Christian. And when you start looking at the truth, the underlying truth, you know, the states that are doing a lot of whining and complaining about all the immigrant stuff, you notice they're all states that were stolen from Mexico, literally, but just in fair behavior, no, we don't want to talk about that. It just comes to a point where we have to have just and fair behavior between people. That's a part of the law. And then if you look at the atrocities done by American business in Central and South America, you see what shattered the economies and the lives of the smallest villagers to the largest cities called Wars a Racket by a gentleman named Smedley Butler. Major General Smedley Butler, 1933, he was the top-ranking military officer in the U.S. military. He held the top rank. And I forget how many medals he had, but he was the top of the top of the top. And he wrote a book called War is a Racket. 
And he talked about how what he was, he didn't understand this when he was in the military, but after he got out of the military, and you can look it up, it's a freebie you can download online, War is a Racket, General, Major General Smedley Butler. And he said, I, when I was in the military, was a high-class muscleman for Wall Street and the bankers. And he names all the Central and South American countries that he went into to murder people in order to make way for American businesses to make money. Excuse me, folks. There's no just and fair behavior in that. And there's no just and fair behavior in what's being done to our neighbors from the South who are trying to escape the insanity culture helped inflict on them. Just and fair behavior between people. And the healing that's needed depends upon keeping this condition of love active in our minds. And when we do then we're going to recognize from the state of being, we will recognize this being that's standing in front of us as another aspect of ourselves. And it doesn't matter how terrible or how aberrant their behavior is. Each one of us can become a space of love for that then we inspire the healing of the insanity going on in the world. And the man, Yeshua, who was a physicist, said, all it takes is a little bit of leavening. Remember he said, a little leavening leavens the whole loaf. He wasn't talking about bread. He was talking about if enough of us could bring our own perceptual minds under control, clean them up so that our perception is without fault, then we would be literally as energetic beings able to capture and reflect into the world that energy that our human forms were custom designed to do. By the way, the word for that action, the word in Aramaic that describes a human being fulfilling its function of literally recognizing that we live, move, and have our being in an energy field called love, and we are properly oriented and aligned, we capture that energy, and we literally become the source, source of or the reflection of pouring that energy of active, present love into the world? That's called prayer. You go read the actual Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, and what you find is, it's a set of instructions for how to, literally, in Aramaic, the word prayer means set a trap for God. TV antenna on my roof, and it's property-oriented, and it's the right shape antenna, and I turn on channel two, I'm going to get a beautiful picture and perfect sound. If somebody goes up on the roof and bends the arms and the antenna and turns it backward, all of a sudden, being misaligned, I'm going to have a snowy, weak picture. People who live in hostility or fear have a snowy, weak picture, perception, and are not capable of prayer, are not capable of capturing the active presence of love and reflecting it into the world for the healing of ourselves, our families, our cultures, and our neighbors, and our quote-unquote enemies. Yeshua was not giving some sort of impractical advice when he said, have Rachma for your enemies. 
do good to those. What was he saying? Be the space of active love. When they asked him to teach him about prayer, they obviously didn't know what it meant. And today people still don't know what it means because they're babbling exactly the opposite of what he said. He said, don't babble, don't repeat and repeat. That all comes from the mind. People you know, do this thing of our Father art in heaven, hell be thy name, thy kingdom come. No. This is a set of instructions. It isn't a prayer. It's how-to. And the whole body of Aramaic thought is the how-to of the healing of human beings, of bringing us back into alignment, oriented to the presence of love, which is what we are, and the ability to collectively pour that into the world. And when just a small number, critical mass, do that then there will be a strong enough human, humanly reflected active presence of love in the world to bring us all to a healed state. Fitting so perfectly with the other when you get to it in the Aramaic. And then... If that stirs something for you, you breathe. Notice if I'm stirring something with my conversation, you're probably altered, you've probably already altered your breathing pattern, or maybe you've stopped breathing altogether. What does that mean? That means I have cut myself off from Rukha. And if you go to the creation story in Aramaic, it doesn't say the Creator sent out his spirit. It literally says the Creator sent out his breath. Denial of its spirit, that breath, is the unforgivable sin, we're told by the Greeks. Oh, now we've got another reason to keep people in terror. Now there's an unforgivable sin. No, no, no. Let's go to the Aramaic again and get some clarity. Ah, if I cut myself off from the healing power of the Creator's breath, If I cut myself far from the healing power of the Creator's breath, I am stuck in unforgiveness. Not the unforgivable sin, but if I'm cut off from the only thing that can truly restructure everything in me that is in error, if I hold my breath, then I'm stuck in unforgiveness not unforgivable sin. That's, that's silly. It's just silliness the way the Greeks translated this and have structured people in fear in the name of love. So hopefully it's a, a package of information that makes sense. So, so what is that law? First, have rockna. Have the gateway open that brings your human love, human life into your human form when you think of the creator, when you think of neighbor. Now, by doing that, you have maintained your human life, yourself. And there's nothing more valuable in all the world. All the gold the world could give you isn't worth one moment where you've lost the presence of love in you, your human life. And yet, and what is it? And, and we live in a culture that thinks, oh, well, so you lose your human life for a minute or two or a lifetime or two. So you live in rage and fear. It's just, oh, well, that's just the way it goes. 
So you drink yourself into oblivion because you've got so much pain you can't resolve it. Oh, well, that's just the way it goes. No, there is a solution to all of this. Where we live, not Sunday morning, but literally where we live as human beings. But we've got to get back to the meanings of the, the, the words that the man knew how to do it, present it. And basically the Greeks stole it. Inserted Greek philosophy into his mouth. And like much of the Greek pantheon, became the source of fear and abuse. So what we're working to do with this book, Enlightenment, what we're working to do with the Chorus Manuscript, is to bring back the real-cation of these tools to life where we all live. I'm hoping, Jeannie, that soon we'll get an invitation back in the school because I realized that one of the thoughts that I was hoping to express in the school with the kids this morning was the one that I've shared before way back 30 years ago when we started the Lessons in Living class in uh, a school in Florida. It was the first lesson we took into the kids from kindergarten to grade 8 was when I choose love, it wakes up to love in everyone. So I hope we get an invitation back. And have you got a caller, sweetie? I do. And I believe it's Miss Susan, 610. You are on the air. Oh, boy, Michael, you're on a roll. You hey, let's go for it. Several... What fun. <laughs> well, first of all, congratulations on starting those kids off with a consciousness that they have a choice to react in a way that may be different than what's been demonstrated at home or whatever. Right. And that is just yeah, so I'm fabulous. hoping we're going to be able to expand to, that into. Yeah, they're going to get it so fast. Now, the question I have, um, I, I lent my, it's kind of ironic, I lent my Kabur's manuscript to our pastor just when you were starting the Enlightenment course. And you said you would send me a book, and you did. But it turns out that the book you sent, which I love, is um, the worksheets for children, uh, the book... Uh, the Healing by, Children and Loving Children? Yeah, right. And I do have... Instead I of Enlightenment? Already, yeah. Um, oh, my mistake. We'll so, get another one out today. Well, we'll get the Enlightenment I, book I want out to, to you. That would be great, number one. That would be fantastic. Awesome. Because you probably awesome. answered that in here. <clears throat> And I would be very happy to pay for that. When you say answered that, when you say answered that, what what did you mean by? The question is, the Lord's Prayer as a set of instructions. I, with my figure it out brain, I want to go through the whole thing line by line and say, what is the instruction here? Our Father who art in heaven, is that an instruction? Etc. Oh, line by line, or do you not mean it that way? Oh yes, we mean it that way. Okay. And, we'll and have is it on that the way done too. in the book? Um, you know, I'm not sure how far we went with that, but I'm actually just looking up your uh, uh, phone number, and I'm going to text you the video link to the presentation of that. Oh, okay. 
because you actually gave a presentation on the instructions. I have. I have. Okay. It's called okay. Living, Not Saying the mm. Lord's Prayer. Great. Exactly. Okay, good. Woo, yeah. So that's okay. where we're heading. And a teeny sort of strange roundabout testimonial to what you were teaching with Aria this morning. Go for it. In a way, we... Um, and this sort of goes lockstep with the way of mastery readings where everyone, without exception and no matter what they're doing or how they appear or seem in any way, everyone is love. And that's right. that involves not knowing certain things. Um, I've come to a lot of conclusions about people in my life just by looking at them, I form a picture. And most of the time, it's so off, so off. Picture. Well, well, uh, think about it for a minute. What is a picture? Yeah. It's something painted it's on the inside of your eyeballs. It's called perception. It's not out there. Right. It's just an image, right? <coughs> and, and the whole idea of forgiveness is to collapse that. Right totally collapse it. Sometimes the pillar is very high and comes down little piece by little piece. But I'm thinking about our house guest and what a teacher he has been because I don't claim to understand what it's like for him to live in his mind. His mind is very different than mine, but my mind is filled less and less, thank God, with requirements. You know, if he does this, then he's acceptable. If he doesn't do this, I'm not going to like it, or I'm not going to like him, or I might like it if he doesn't do a certain thing. To the point where everything I thought was acceptable, the way one should be and act, is being torn down to the nub, and it starts rebuilding very quickly. It's a constant exercise of dismantling perceptions so that I can come to where I don't know. And that's the best I've done. I've had, you know, glimmers of feeling love or um, at least peace, some peace, but then the little constructions, they're like stalactites. Those are the ones, no, stalactites, stalactite, there's a joke. How do you know the difference between tell the difference between stalactites and stalagmites? The mites crawl up and the tights come down. That's what it is. <laughs> so <laughs> <sighs> the mites are crawling up all the time, like building grain by grain, um, er- erroneous thought by erroneous thought, and. I, you know, you have us practice. How do you feel in your body? What's your body telling you? Well, my body tells me very quickly because the breath stops, the chest tightens, and then I know I'm in trouble already. This is ongoing. But what you're teaching Aria with Aria in the class is, it's obvious. I mean, you're just teaching them to have no preconceptions and to choose not by doing anything about them, but just choosing love in every situation, which for me is too advanced 
I've got to do some dismantling before I can choose love in a lot of situations. Anyway, just to say, and I would love to watch that video. It's already in your inbox. And what you don't want to do is make a choice to do this, to to be love. What Uh you want to do is the work required to function as love. Mm-hmm. Because it's not a choice. Doing the work is a choice, but being love isn't a choice. That that part of the mind is either open or it's closed. Okay. And you can't choose to open it. You can do the work to remove the blocks that keep it closed. That's true. Yeah, I can feel but that. It's not, it's not something... Remember, the, the, the mind is a decision-making device. When it comes to perception, all it is is resonance. It's a tuning fork. If there's hostile, if somebody can make you believe to the max of the max of the biggest max in the world that what you're supposed to do is be love, mm-hmm. and if there's hostility or fear in you and somebody shows up to resonate hostility or fear, your mind takes over and makes a decision. Hostility mm-hmm. and fear. There's no choice about that. Mm. It's going to happen. Right. Where the choice lies is the, the second it happens, I can go, ah, I'm going to have a conversation inside of me about what's happening in my mind rather than believing this projection, and I'm going to forgive this projection. And when I do forgive it and collapse that hostility or fear, then love is automatically present. It's not something yeah. I do by an act of will or choice. It's it's doing the work that produces that result. Kind of the reason why when I, you know, you've heard me say before, I I do a Course in Miracles class somewhere to a group of Course in Miracles students, and the first thing I write on the board is, don't study a Course in Miracles, because studying studying won't produce the result. Choosing Mm -hmm. to love will not produce the result. Learn forgiveness. That's what produces the result. Mm, Good. And that practice becomes the key to it all. Good. Sweet. And Ginny, I just sent you some links to uh, to add, including the living not saying Lord's Prayer to the notes today. And it's on the way to you, Dawn. Did you send it via email? Text. By text. Oh, I, I sent you a text with it. four links, in, with three links in it. One on um, the eye is the lamp of the body, talking about this whole section we've been talking about in perception. It's just a short four-minute video. And then a link to a, the Rockman and Kuba page, and then living, not saying the Lord's Prayer. Okay, I'm looking for it. And all I'm seeing is all my political stuff, which comes into my text. <laughs> Brother, oh, guess challenge? what? Yeah. I hadn't hit the send button. I'd, I'd pasted it, but I had not hit the send button. So thank you for oh, checking excellent. on that because you've been waiting yeah. for a long time. There you go. It should be in your <laughs> inbox now. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm looking at it. Thanks. Awesome. Well, any other thoughts for you, young lady? No, my head got completely empty on all that. So carry on. Perfect. Michael. Perfect. That's awesome. Good for you. <laughs> I 
I don't know. <laughs> ah, yeah. Thanks. If you can if you can empty yourself of perception, there's a space for being to show up in your physiology. Good. The only thing that will steal that from you is a perception based in some form of hostility or fear that is resonated mm-hmm. or activated. And if we keep remembering in the instant that someone resonates that of, oh, here's my work to do. You know, like uh, uh, there was a period of time for me where kind of my, my pet phrase, anytime anything based in hostility or fear came up was I'd say to myself, here's another piece of my insanity to heal. Here's another piece oh, of yeah. my insanity to heal. Mm-hmm. Rather than look what they did to me, look at you know. Rather, it, it's not easy to resign from the one world universal religion of blame. It's not easy to resign. It takes commitment, and for me, that was one of the tools I used. Oh, here, here's my insanity again. Yeah, my mind's got a whole story about you, and I can tell you all about what's wrong with you. But I'm the one who's got a disturbed energy here. I'm the one who's lost Rachma. I have yeah. work to do. Mm-hmm. No and, what. and when you're the early adopter, I mean, when you think that we've got a thousand generations, you know, just 30 generations, you go back and that, if you do the math, then it's 1.6 billion people. That's what's in our genes. And that's what responds to anything that resonates those things in our genes. So it's not a, a, a project that's done, you know, in the next 10 minutes because I will to do it or I choose to do it. It's a project that is completed when I do step by step by step by step. You know, if I say, oh, I'm going to build a house and it's going to take nailing in 10,000 nails, guess what I have to do? I have to nail in 10,000 nails. And I might have 10,000 worksheets to do on one simple topic if it's something that's been going on for the last 50 generations in my bloodline. And so I do piece of work by piece of work by piece of work by piece of work. And the next time my mind comes up with another hostility or fear-based thought toward myself or anybody else, because, you know, one of the, the major objects of attention for hostility and fear is ourselves, mm-hmm. it's the next mm-hmm. piece of work. Rather than, oh, look what's wrong with me. Oh, Oh, here's another forgiveness opportunity for me. And another, and another, and another, and another. Yep, I want to build this house. Oh, come on, Michael. You mean if I really want to live in that, you mean I have to nail all 10,000 nails in? Come on, that's too much. I don't want to do that. I just want to live in the house. Right. Well, if you want to live in the house, you have to nail all 10,000 nails. If you want to be in a hostility and fear-based free being, then you're going to have to do the work it's required to do it. You want to live in that house? Mm. And, and you know, when you're the early adopter, when you're the first one in your family system that says, I'm going to do this, it's a pretty significant piece of work. Yeah. So changing the subject back to my messages, nothing has come through what is happening. I've looked at my well, known weird. senders, my... Unknown senders. <laughs> well, it definitely went through. It did. If it's a video, maybe it just takes a while. 
Well, it should. It, no, it, it isn't a video. It's just a couple of links, so it's only, oh, you know, right, thirty words in a. But I'll go ahead and send it once more. Send as new. I just hit the send button again. If you don't get it, call me and I'll, yeah. I'll email it to you. Thanks. Any other thoughts for you today? No, not worth talking about. <sighs> Carry on, Michael. What you're doing is crazy. All right, you have a blessed one. I appreciate you. Thanks. Yeah, us too. All Take care. All right, bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Well, Miss Jeannie? Do we have anybody else in the phone queue or... Well, Cammie has her hand up, but I think it's left over from Dr. Tan, but I'm going to turn her microphone on. Hi, Cammie. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Um, awesome. Welcome in, lady. Thank you. Um, I did have it on just because um, from when, from Tim's show. So, cool. Um, I didn't really have anything to add today except for... Um, I would love to say that um, I just really appreciate you guys. You've supported me for 20 years. Um, Been hanging out for a while, haven't we? I'm telling you what, and it's been a wonderful ride as long as I did the work, you know. But every time I let them down, Michael was still there for me. You know, the work that they've been doing on the website is just amazing to me. It's wonderful work. And um, every time I'd pick up the tools, he'd be there for me. When I was in um, extremely bad alcoholism, as long as I was sober, Michael was there for me you know, and help me pick up the tools again. And it usually at this point, it simply takes something as simple as those things that used to tick me off earlier, early on. Um, <laughs> things like, Kimmy, do a worksheet, all of the above. Oh, my gosh, when you would say all of the above, oh, would anger rise up in me, you know. <laughs> And, yeah, and, and I, I don't know if you remember that. But, I remember um, a time or three, <laughs> and right. and I remember, you know, you put a, a caveat in there. I was there for you as long as you weren't actively drinking, and there may be a few conversations that you don't really recall that I was there for you even when you were. Uh, I was because wondering that, doesn't that make when it, I said it. doesn't it. make any difference. Yeah, yeah I... Uh, I was wondering that when I said it, if that was accurate, because I vaguely think I remember talking to you a couple mm, times. There were a when few. I was there. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, there my perception few. and my memory <laughs> um, in the midst of that uh, severe alcoholism, I was drinking. I got to the point eventually that made me stop where I was drinking a fifth a day. And, or more, mm. and wow. 
it brought me to my knees and I'm back and yeah. just doing a little bit of work in the last couple of weeks. It's all come back. And I'm at peace again after tons of chaos due to my thought disorders. Um, but um, it's wonderful work, and I just really appreciate you and Jeannie for giving, giving so much. Um, well, you know, what you trigger as you're talking is the... Uh for me, one of the most rewarding moments in working with you was in Birmingham, Alabama about, I'm not sure, six or seven years ago. And you had a major event come up on the way to the workshop and you breathed through it and that was just monumental. It was. Um, And I thought that me and my husband both were going to get on track and we did play with it for a little bit, and now you know we're both just doing the work, and life is awesome. easy. It's easy yeah, to hold it's... love if you're doing what you what you need to do, and the Aramaic the Kaboras is what has brought that to us, yeah. along with many other writings. But uh, glad to be on I'm the team. Thrilled, I'm just thrilled to be back. And I appreciate you guys. Awesome. Thank you for saying thank you. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. All right. Lots of love. All Blessings. Right. Bye-bye. Thank you. And we have another hand up. Great. Let's say hello. It's Terry Bowling, 336. You're on the air. Michael, Jeannie, hello. Welcome, Terry. When you start talking about building houses and hammering nails, I have to raise my hand. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. I had one house, and we had, we had over 40,000 nails in that house. 40,000. So I have to up up my numbers then, do I, on that, on that <laughs> metaphor? That was, a big, that was a big house. Uh, that was a big house. but uh, And that's a lot of nails. That's a lot sure of nails. That's a lot of right, swing in the arm. To, well, thank God we had the air gun. When I first started, we did swing the arm, and now we use the uh, the, the guns, the nail guns for for ninety five percent. So, um, I was looking for Doctor Feelgood, though. Is he around anywhere? <laughs> uh, he actually arrives after your last worksheet. Oh, okay. I mean, I've already seen that a hundred times. It's not Dr. Feelgood, and it's not for wimps, okay? So I was like, well, let's find that Dr. Feelgood and have a talk with him. But but, uh, it's also – so what I wanted to add to to the conversation here was that if a person will persist and continue, they they get the benefits and the payoffs, no doubt. Now that's it. My mind will try to yeah, will try to suppress it and deny it and minimize it every time. Oh well, you know, that was the yeah, you weren't really feeling that bad, it wasn't that bad. All that kind of nonsense, you know. Now, now what what, well, what is beautiful though is go ahead. I was just gonna say, well, and that's what perception does. 
If the light for you is darkness, yeah. if, if you're following the perceptual mind, it will always throw the generational uh, replicate of the monkey wrench into perception. Exactly. Now, what happens, though, for me, what, what happened for me was that at some point, you know, and I think I talked about that at Heartland where I really I felt like after that two years, or it was about a year and a half into it, I said, wow, I feel like it's uh, the score is finally flipped to uh, uh, 51-49, you know, <laughs> it's on, the, on the good side awesome. of uh, of healing, but that took a lot of work, a lot of work, and I could physically feel the shift where I felt like I had crossed the, you know, the, even the midpoint there and was gaining a little momentum, and then also I noticed that over time, even though I would have the events, like last night, I got all triggered by the dogs barking, and I was all too, too, too jammed up, so, you know, of course, I just walk in, hey, and I go straight to straight to my desk and, and whoop out the worksheet. I had that insight was right in the middle of this whole process, and so it was perfect. Like I was, I was uh, taking in all that new information. I was like, "Ooh, excited about that!" And then when I come up, I immediately got triggered. I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, this is it. This is it. Bring it on!" You know, <laughs> and uh, and just let's see how we can roll through this. And then getting to the other side of it was, was just beautiful. You know, so. The experience was uh, was good, and I didn't have to be at the mercy of the negative side of the experience. I was experiencing some negativity, and I was witnessing, you know, and I had some irritation. Was the was the uh, focus, uh, you know, the uh, uh, line, the uh, object of attention? You know, I was feeling irritation was my feeling in the worksheet, and the irritation was uh, was able to work through it. But I was able to work work through it and look at it from that perspective of like one step back instead of being all in the middle of the mix muddled like you got spaghetti noodles flying around your head and that kind of stuff you know so that's that's really the benefit as we start to experience that and it's like it's like you said about all those nails it's also like if you start lifting a, a, a barbell now and like after my accident i couldn't hardly lift anything i'll start with five pounds and i was like oh oh five pounds i had to keep going 10 pounds and 15 you know work it up build the muscle back so we're building the muscles here let's build the brain cells and i love that analogy and uh uh the way that that's uh um helps to explain uh a lot of things, so many things, building those brain cells around any new experience or or something that you feel like you want to um, know better, then it's going to require some effort. That's all. I want to chime in about the house call. That's what it takes. And about uh, yeah, the value of persistence and uh, and getting to that shifting point where you know. And once you shift, see, you know there's no going back. You know, you can't yeah. go back yeah. to the matrix. That's it. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just not an option right. anymore. It's something, no, something no, may try yeah, to drag sure. you back, but you just exactly. don't get lost there. For, for At least you don't get lost exactly. there for as long, right? For as long or as you don't take it so personal. Right. Yeah, as deeply lost in it. Well, I, I, uh, I actually went. Looking and I'm not finding it at this moment. But you brought up uh, one of my favorite little uh, memories with my daughter, 
and during the Laws of Living class at Heartland back when she was about eight, she did a she was a participant in the Laws of Living, and she did a drawing. And I'll, when I find it, I'll send you a picture of it. But she did this little drawing, and it showed you know two two stick figures, and she wrote a story. And the story was about Dr. Feelgood and Dr. Heelgood. And that this person came to see Dr. Michael Rice, and he told them that it was not going to be Dr. Feelgood. And finally, they did the work that the Dr. Rice suggested that they do, and then they got to be with Dr. Heelgood, or Feelgood. Words, I don't have it exactly. I was looking for it so I could read it to you. But uh, when I find it, I'll, sh- I'll share it with you. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, it's like it's it's like a little. I want to see that one. A, a, a child of eight's frameable piece of art. <laughs> yeah, and it gets the message across. So, it does it perfectly. Yes. Yep. Getting to that place where we really step into, you know, when when I can open the veil of my temple, which. You know, how did this guy know 2,000 years ago how to do that? I, I don't know. But when I can do that, then the existent truth of the energy that is will enter me and totally reorganize whatever it is I'm willing to be free of, willing to give up. If I, I can say I want to give it up, but if I hold in my mind, oh, well, you know, I need to keep this piece of hostility just in case somebody attacks me, then I'll have it to protect myself with, then that can't be restructured, that can't be released. There has to be the willingness to allow the deepest levels to move. And when, you know, when that perception is collapsed and there's the openness and that the energy of what is, the actuality, totally can restructure that whole perceptual mind, and that's where the, the major healing occurs. What's, so what's joining you Donald in doing Hoffman, that. It, it, one more note. With uh, Donald Hoffman, a psychologist, physicist, uh, all that, I'm not sure exactly how his title is, but it's, it's a lot. So... He's getting closer and closer. It's pretty exciting. And he's, he's, he says many times, now, I know I'm, I'm walking over onto the spiritual side, and I'm getting into what many of, our, uh, of the old uh, writings have been saying. He says, but now we're getting the, the science behind it. That it says, and it really astounds him. He's, you know, he's really amazed because he's able to put this, with his language, he's able to connect with the with the mysticism and understand it, how much they knew about this yeah, without we having can, the, we the modern it. day language. Yeah, yeah, and he's starting to prove it. So he's and he's getting real close to um, pulling it together. In my opinion, as far as like, okay, well, what is that consciousness, that energy? They call it consciousness, but you know. That's what um, um, you're calling uh, um, love, you know, love. It's like we're tapping to love. We're tapping to the consciousness. That consciousness and love, to me, is going to be, um, I'm still looking at that, working at it, but I think they're, they're uh, synonyms. Illusion. 
No, my mute button stuck. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I'd agree with that. That would be, uh, they would be synonyms in, in the actuality. Mm-hmm. In the actuality. You know. Which he does yeah. a good job of trying to explain that. <laughs> and, like, Winston, and, and he's well, just blowing people's minds, you know. It's like, yeah. oh, wow. And, and it's, Winston it's not Churchill new. says we have the privilege of being separated by a common language. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when we start using words that are different from someone else, most people think they're talking about something else. But in truth, there's only one thing to talk about. And there's the what is. And, you know, theology's created one language for it, and psychology's created another one, and physics has created another one, and every, uh, every different branch of theology's created a different language for it. So everybody thinks they're talking about something different. But the truth is, there's only one thing to talk about, and it's what is, whether you call it consciousness or love or being or God or, or you know, as scientists call it energy. But it's the same description quantum that theology confetti. gives to God. <laughs> Say it again? Yeah. Quantum confetti. You know, yeah, the, there the you go. Of yes. yep. And, and that's yep. what we got to talking about a little bit last night was how that, the, the method that I used years ago to, to take your work and, and other works and start to compare those. With the, see, that took effort, too. That took work and effort and a, and a willingness to kind of, okay, we're going to look at this. And then uh, with an open mind. And what happened was I was able to see what you're talking about, that common thread of truth that was the same, no matter what the language. That's what it takes, open to the energy of it. Use the words that your mind can use to let go of what's not true and let the actuality do its work in you. So joining you in that, my friend. Awesome. All right. You have a blessed one. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world and blessings. Bye-bye.